So I have my best friend, Jonathan London of Geekscape. He put together this little panel for you guys. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Jonathan London and Edward James Olmos. Give it up for him, let's go. Uh, this is amazing. As you guys may not know, for the last couple of months, I've been lucky enough to be writing Miami Vice for Lion Forge Comics, who brought Kid onto the floor over there. And uh, one of my favorite characters to write is Lieutenant Castillo. And here he is, right here in the flesh. <laughs> and here's our other surprise. I'm crashing Eddie's panel. We thought we'd go the extra God mile and bring, bring Colonel Ty onto the stage. Uh, can I sit there? Sure. Sure. Kidding. Kidding. <laughs> they told me about five minutes yeah. ago that Michael would be joining us up here. And I was like, sure, why not? I watched every episode of BSG. Oh, good. Twice. Twice. Just, just remember, we're in Los Angeles, so don't look at me, little puppet. Don't look at me, puppet. <laughs> don't look at me, puppet. I was big puppet, little puppet, wasn't it? So, um, man, there's a million places I can start with you, Ed. And they told me five minutes ago you were joining. But I guess let's just start with BSG, because that's the one that yeah. we all love, right? Yeah. So uh, tell me, guys, how did you guys get approached to be in Battlestar Galactica? You started. Well, I, um, I almost didn't audition for uh, Battlestar Galactica. It is shot, as you probably all know, in uh, British Columbia, Canada. And I am living there. Uh, and I, I was aware of the original show, uh, but I thought a reimagining of that, hmm. Then I was told that Michael Reimer is directing it, and he's an Australian director that had done an independent film called Angel Baby. Hmm, there must be something to this. And then I was told that Edward James Almos is playing Adama, and I thought, whoa, there really <laughs> is something to this. I auditioned and got it, and here we are, God's damn it. And let me tell you, we're the best thing. The best thing that happened to the show was this man. Yeah. Uh, truly a gift. A two, total Thank gift. You, I was, uh, it's funny because they had, um, the man who reimagined the show was Ron Moore. And Ron had written about 125 episodes of Star Trek. And he was the one who theorized the idea of killing Kirk. And so Captain Kirk was going to go out, and this guy did it. And they had asked me to play in New Gener Next Generation the, the Kirk role, you know, to take over the, the, the ship. And uh, I turned it down. They wanted you to take over the... the, yeah. the wow. Yeah. So yeah, I read that. Then I turned it down. I said, no, thank you very much. I was working at the time. I said, thank you, but I, I can't do this right now. I'm going to go do a little movie, a little television show called American Family. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, big, big, I mean, everybody's going, what? So, anyway, I, so when they went to do the show, what happened was that Ron Moore and David Icke were looking at the roles with Michael Reimer, and they said, well, we're going to need, like, an Edward James Olmos type to play the, the, the colonel, the, ca you know, commander. And, uh, and then Ron said, uh, well, do you think he'll do it? I mean, you know, thinking in his mind, he had turned down, you know, Star Trek, why would he do Battlestar Galactica, you know? 
And so David, uh, David Icke said, well, why don't we just ask him? You know, and they said, do you think he'll do it? And he said, well, let's just ask him. We want an Edward James almost type, so let's just ask him. So they asked me and they sent me the script. The script was incredible, truly a gift from the get-go. Uh, how many of you saw the opening pilot? Incredible. The miniseries. Okay. How many of you saw the opening pilot in episode one, 33? You all saw the whole show. Because <laughs> once you were hooked on to the first one, man, it just it locked you in. So I got on by way of them. They sent me the script and they sent me the story. And I was, I just said, because I had never seen the original show. Because at the time I had, when the show came out in 1978, I was doing Zoot Suit. And, and I, worked, I worked eight shows a week and I never watched television, you know, because we were working in, in, in theater. And theater, you work from about 5 o'clock in the afternoon till about, I'd say about anywhere between 11.30 to 1 o'clock. By the time you eat dinner, it's about 3 o'clock in the morning, so you go home, you rest, and you get up around 5, 4.30, and you do it all over again. And, uh, but, and that's eight shows a week, so you, you didn't watch TV when you do oh, theater. How, how long did Zootoot run, by the way? Four years. Four years of doing that, wow. Yeah, El Pachuco. And how and how did you guys then take the play and turn it into the film? Was that was oh, that, that was, tough in Hollywood? That was yeah, it was crazy because, I mean, we shouldn't have done it the way we did it, but it was great the way we did it. Don't get me wrong. It's just that they gave us two and a half million dollars to do that movie, and uh, it was really one of the most extraordinary stories and pieces that had ever been mounted in the history of American theater. And uh, so I was, I told Luis, I said, Luis, let's, let's not do it like this. He said, no, no, I can do something with that. I said, two and a half million dollars, even in 1981, when we were doing it, 82, was really not capable of handling what we needed to do with the picture. But he said, no, we're gonna do it like a play, which was fine, I got it. It was gonna be a stylized piece, and we did it. But I wish that they would really invested the time and the energy to make that show come alive. Because of the riots and all Everything. the Everything. You saw what we did on American Me. Yeah. American Me, we did the, you know, the whole Zutsu riot out in, you know, 1943. And uh, we did that. And, and we, that's how this should have been. It should have been in reality rather than in like a surreal kind of a setting to do it. But that was a choice that they made. And when you uh, were approached by Ron Moore and, and Dave Ike to come back to sci-fi, after passing on the Captain of the Enterprise. Uh, not that you live with regrets, but was that playing back through your head, the, the chance that you could have been the Captain of the Enterprise and saying, this is my second chance at a ship? I appreciated Star Trek. I really did. But you got to remember, um, for some of us, what I'm about to say rings very true. For other of us, we really don't even think about it. But there's a cultural drain in artistic life here in the United States of America. If I was to ask you, name me one American hero of uh, Asian descent that you've studied any time in your life in this country, you know, national hero, you couldn't give me one. Mm -hmm. We've never made a, we've met, never made a Latino. We've, if it wasn't for Martin Luther King, we wouldn't have one national hero in this country of color, right. period, okay? He's the only national hero we have that we, uh, what, you know, when I went to, uh, to Harvard, and I got a, a very high degree there. 
I had to speak and I asked the question, you know, name me one United States national hero that you've studied any time in your life, male or female, that born in the United States of America of Latino descent. And um, guy raised his hand. I said, are you a PhD? He says, yeah. He says, I said, what's the answer to this? He says, uh, how do you define national hero? I said, oh shit, that's right, I'm at Harvard. <laughs> Let me define it as where the entire nation as a whole says thank you to this person for the contributions that they've given. The whole country does, says thank you on one certain day for five minutes. Right, there's that's no Cesar no Chavez. Yeah, that's yep. a, the, a right. national hero. Just everybody says, thank you, man. Thank you, George Washington. Thank you, Abraham Lincoln. Thank you, Christopher Columbus. Yay. You know? Yeah, Christopher Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Columbus is the one who kind can, of took away imagine, a lot can you of imagine, it. Uh, can you imagine if they would say, thank you, Geronimo? Yeah, right. you know? But in, in essence, what I'm saying is that when I, you know, when I was given the opportunity to do Star Trek, I was given the opportunity to create the very first character in a true cultural piece that had never been seen in the history of this country. The very first broadcast, Latino broadcast show on television in the history of TV. And that was the American family. So I said, nah, I'll, you guys go off and do that. You don't need my help to do that. I'm going to go do this over here. And so I did that. So it was not about, and Star Trek was already, I mean, it had been going forever. Right. It's, it was set. There was no need, but this American family needed help. So I went to do that. And so culturally, I made a decision. Now, had they changed Adama's name, I would have not done it. Mm -hmm. okay. What do you mean call, if they changed his name? If they would have called him, you know, uh, you know uh, William uh, Walters. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if they, they would have yeah, whitefaced. Yeah. I would have said, right. no, man, you, you can change his name. I won't do it. But I will do it if it's Adama. Because Guillermo Adama sounds really good. And we had never had a character in, in the history of television to ever be uh, a person like this, you know, a culturally diverse person, you know, doing a role of this magnitude. So I said, I'll take that on, let's try it. Mm -hmm. And so it really worked, it worked very well, I think. Yeah, sure and, and you know, culture was not even mentioned, you know. To give you a perfect example, how many of you saw Argo? Argo? How many of you knew that uh, Argo was really, you know, Tony Menendez? Very few people knew that. Very few people really got a hold of it because Ben Affleck played the role. And, and he had no cultural awareness. You know, maybe him and Tony Mendes got together and said, there's no reason to worry about it because I don't really project as a person of, uh, you know, of a Mexican-American person. I, and I would look at Tony and say, excuse me, you're from El Paso, Texas? Right. And you don't reek of a Mexican-American? Are you kidding me? You look like you're Chicano. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> You look more Chicano than me. <laughs> look at yourself. So, but to, to not give that hero, one of the great heroes of American storytelling, which was Argo, Tony Mendez, a CIA agent that went beyond the call of duty and did such a tremendous job, for him not to be a person of color. It's like what happens when Jesus Christ is portrayed as a person of blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? Jesus was never blonde hair and blue eyed. And that's all you see is a white Jesus. You know, Jesus was born in Africa, everybody. He was a Jew. <laughs> he never stopped being a Jew. Right? He never stopped being a Jew. He's a, he wasn't even a Christian. So when you get to heaven, there's going to be a, a guy with kinky hair, kind of real dark skin going, hi. 
No, no, this is heaven. Come on up. <laughs> yeah, you're in the right place. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Meet God, my mother. Freak the shit out of you. That's a... He definitely wouldn't have been Jesus. Right. Yeah. He definitely would have been Jesus. So one of the best scenes, yeah. I mean, a lot of the, the backbone of BSG were the scenes that you guys had together. Um, how long did yeah. it take you guys to establish that rapport? Two minutes, yes, not even that. Man, <laughs> I, I told you from the very beginning, this gentleman was the gift to the show. Not that the, Katie wasn't a gift, Sackoff, incredible gift. Okay, Jamie Bamber, an incredible, Callis, Baltar, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And of course, Mary McDonald as the president. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. But this yeah. kid came out of left field for all of us. Okay, all of them did, it, really. But this kid came out of left field with an extraordinary commitment to theater and to, th to his acting performances, his craft. So when he hit this ground, he hit it not only running, but he wiped us all out. When, it, when his very first scene, I'll never forget it because it was all live. It was eight and a half minutes of all of us working on the same shot. If you remember the shot, it's, it's, it's Katie, it's, uh, you know, the Starbuck running through the ship and running all over the damn ship and all, in and out of everything and the cameras following her. It was an eight-minute shot. There were no edits. And she runs into everybody on the ship. She, yeah, it's you know, it was incredible. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's the XO. <laughs> With a cup. Yeah. <laughs> no acting required. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I got to tell you, it's been an honor and a privilege to have worked with you in this right manner. Right back at you, amigo. Seriously. Wow. What can we say? <laughs> but, uh, Question. Edward, you're a director and you, you push your projects. Is there any chance that you would look to put Michael in something in the, in the future? I mean, Yeah, I mean, we're, we're working on that right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, matter of fact, a few of the Battlestar Galactica people I'm going to have to engage and ask them to help me in my next project. Yeah. But not necessarily a, a Battlestar Galactica project. No, no, this, no, this be... is a World War II movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A feature yeah. film, yeah, not a series. Feature, feature film. film. Feature film, a very heavy-duty feature film. <laughs> and Michael could be a very part important. of that? Yeah. Yeah, he'll be able to do it and do it I brilliantly. I play an old bald alcoholic. And, uh, yes. It's a stretch for me. Take that hill. Yeah. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. A lot of yelling. Lot of yelling. Um, so... One of my favorite roles of yours, Blade Runner. Yeah. Low, fast, nehojmar, devaja Blade Runner. That's, Hungar that's Hungarian. Any Hungarians in the crowd? Nobody, um, nobody speaks Hungarian in here? I wanted you, to make do you know what that means? Yeah. What does it mean? Low, fast, nehojmar, devaja Blade Runner. It means, ah, oh, big horse dick, you are the Blade Runner. <laughs> First time they, they heard it in, 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 in Yugoslavia, the people fell on the ground. Ah! That was in the script, or did that come from oh, no, you? No, that came from me. Are you kidding? Yeah. My, the whole language came from me. The whole language yeah, did. The whole language. I mean, All we don't have Asian enough time for you to tell everything. What about the final line me. in the movie? You have the final line in the movie. Too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? <laughs> Every time, every time I sign a photograph of Gaff, I put that in, and people go nuts. I'll be signing again. Michael, I'll be signing in just a half an hour. <laughs> Instead of signing, though, he's just going to make you little unicorns. That's it. Come yeah. by. Make... $20 uniform. Unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uniform. Do it really eerie. Yeah. You came to a convention. You got an experience. Orale. Orale. <laughs> Don't look at me, brother. Gaff was a vato loco. Orale. <laughs> 
talk about Stand and Deliver, for which you were nominated for an Oscar. Yes. What do you, yes. Have you seen the South Park where Cartman goes, how can I teach them calculus? <laughs> Did you hear Ron Paul plagiarize this? <laughs> You didn't hear it? Yeah, he did it. He had, look online. He was a, Madoff got a, called him on it. I guess he stole or you copied. Plagiarized. What, right. they plagiarized. Yeah, yeah. yeah, plagiarized us. That's what he did. Uh, One of his speeches is from, yeah. uh, from uh, Stand and Deliver. Yeah, he did. He plagiarized us. And he tried to tell him, he was talking to a Hispanic uh, caucus. And so he went to Wikipedia and, oh. took, and, he, and he copped an entire section and did it word for word. And then he said it. And people turned around and they looked at each other. And they, like you've never seen the movie. Yeah. <laughs> How could I connect with the Latino audience? Wow. That's the definition of a white guy. See, that's awful. Wikipedia will solve it. That's incredible. Hey, guys, I, I just want to talk to you about no grapes. Like, what an asshole. <laughs> Sorry about that, but come on. Um, so talk about the movie. I mean, that, I mean, that was where a lot of us saw you for the first time in Stand and Deliver. How important was that film? I mean, it's a true story. Do you, are you drawn to true stories? I mean, are you drawn to, to, to those kind of education and entertainment films? Now, you, you know, I got to tell you, I'm very, I live a very privileged life, and it's been because of the stories that I've been able to tell. They haven't been stories that uh, you know bust out and become mega big hits, but at the same time, stand and deliver, get a load of this accolade for a movie, is the single most viewed film ever made in the United States of America, seen in the United States of America ever. It beat like Gone with the Wind like 13, 14 years ago. Avatar can't keep up with it. E.T., uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You, you name the biggest films that have ever been made and how many billions of people have seen it can't keep up with Stand and Deliver mm -hmm. because most of us saw it in school. Right. And right. so teachers keep on, for 25 years, you know, hundreds of thousands of teachers make millions of kids see it every year. And so it just got way out of whack. So I, I love that movie. I love the story. And, yeah, I like stories that have... Uh, a sense of culture in them, and like I like Selena? stories. That, Selena was terrible. Mm -hmm. That was a tough. That was a mm -hmm. tough movie. That Why? movie was the hardest movie I've ever made. Why? Because of the story. I mean, she got killed. Oh, she I see up, what you're she saying. She dies yeah. at yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was 17, 13 months after we finished that she gotten killed. We, we were doing the movie, and you got to remember, every scene that we did was about how wonderful life was until that moment and how she got there. And everybody loves the story of the little girl who ends up putting on her bustikaka and wearing it out there, her bra, and, you know, everybody's doing it. And Jennifer Lopez gave the best performance of her life, and she does a brilliant job. And every time I would turn around, you know, from doing one of these great scenes, all of a sudden I'd look, and there would be the father, the only one that came to the set ever. He would be against the wall, man, and heaving sobs with his head back against the wall. And he had to stand there. He went to every single shot. He was there, and he was just in, he just tore his heart apart. And so we'd be real happy until we turned around and seen that, and then we'd turn back, and it became the hardest movie we've ever made. That's quite a tightrope for an actor to walk. Yeah, and especially we only had the opportunity. He wouldn't, didn't want us to shoot the scene in the hospital, mm -hmm. but we begged him, and we said, just give us one, we'll do, only do one take. Just give us one take. We'll just shoot the one shot, and that's it, and we'll get out of here. 
And, you know, he finally gave in to that one moment, and that, that moment's brutal. It's a brutal, brutal scene. Who directed that? Uh, um, Gregory Nava. He directed it. So it was a... It was a very difficult movie. I mean, it was fun. Everybody loves the movie. They go see it. They wonderful movie. Then you realize at the end what we're watching, and it's an oh shit, uh-huh. right? You know, this is a very a tragic tragedy. movie, a tragedy, a big one. I mean, that woman is 23 years old. She's gone. Mm-hmm. And she was a huge cultural icon. I mean, if you go to Corpus Christi, there's a statue to her, right there on the on the Maracon. Yeah. No, she was would have been uh, the most profound and prolific artist we'd ever had, Mexican-American artist right. of all time. Major influence. Um, can we talk about Miami Vice because I spent the last couple of months with your voice running through my head? And I mean, I, I mean the, mo- the book comes out in January. The, two, the characters I like to write are Noogie and I like to write Castillo. Especially, I mean, I said it back there and I probably embarrassed you. I definitely embarrassed myself. One of my favorite lines is when you're talking to Tubbs, my two favorite characters on the show, and you say, I worked for the DEA in Burma. How long did you work there? Three years. It's a long time. It's an eternity. You were such a badass. And then in the next episode, you're running around in a Speedo, and you were cut. You were so cut. And then you start Arr. busting out the kung fu moves. It's in season one, if you guys see it. Is I'm it- still cut. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Your ass. That was your first big role out of, uh, after Zoot Suit and after Blade Runner. I mean, that was, that was your television role, and you got nominated for it. You ended up winning uh, both a Golden Globe and an Emmy Award. Uh, how big was that? And let's talk about the 80s as a cultural shift, because as you were talking about American Family, that's right after Robert Townsend puts out the Hollywood Shuffle, and things start to, color starts to appear in American media. How big was Castillo being the head of OCB in Miami Vice? You know, I, I don't know if it was a, a big in that respect because the show itself was the the icon. The show right. Miami Vice became something that nobody had was waiting for or ready for. And granted, it was given to us, the actors, but really was the era. It was the style. It was everything. It just locked it. The fast editing. I mean, the whole idea of uh, MTV cop show. That's how they sold it to NBC. So uh, you know, I mean. We had such a strong unit there, too. The kids were really good. You know, Sandra Santiago, myself, Olivia Brown, you know, of course, uh, Philip Michael Thomas, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Don Johnson, everybody. They were great. Everybody really worked very, very well. It was a very powerful piece of work. They really it changed the course of the way they watch television. Most of you guys are too young to have been able to really experience it because if you were under the age of 21, then you don't know what was happening. Every single Friday night at 10 o'clock, every single bar across the country would stop. Everybody would go to the bars and they'd stop and all of a sudden they'd turn the televisions on, they'd turn them all on to Miami Vice and everybody would watch Miami Vice while they're drinking their beer. It was incredible. The whole world would stop to watch that show. It became a, a, a real game changer. I feel like I took on a huge responsibility when I got the book, so I'm keeping it completely in continuity between seasons one and two. Like, I, and you're keeping all the characters in the every color, single everything? One. I thought that's what yeah. they should have done with the remake. Yeah, it's in continuity between seasons one and two. I start with, where it ends, and then the, the book ends in South America right before the, the second uh, season opener. I think people really yeah. enjoyed it because of that. I, I think they liked the pastels, they liked the color, they liked mm-hmm. the whole feeling. It made South Beach, you know, what it is today, right. because there was no South Beach like that at Mike, the time. Michael, can I ask you about video games because of Skyrim? Can I do that? 
Would you, I mean, how, do you love doing the Mass Effect and Skyrim and video games like that? Because he talked about BSG as the way TV should be made. I think those games are the way video games should be made. Are you passionate about video games for us nerds? Uh, well, I am passionate about doing them. I can't say that I am a gamer, but I do the research when I'm asked to do them. Mm. Uh, Mass Effect 2 is, I believe that is the first one that I did. And when they called and asked me if I would do it, they were Battlestar Galactica fans, <laughs> which is why they asked me. But I, so I knew it was in my wheelhouse. I have also, since 1969-70, done radio drama at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in Canada. We used to have studios uh, full of actors recording uh, radio dramas, and I did a lot of uh, book recordings and poetry uh, recording on, uh, on, uh, in front of a microphone. So it was fun uh, to... Uh, and also I recorded with a playwright friend of mine a mini-series called Pocket City Blues, which is I played a DJ who was auditioning for a, a, to, to a host a blues uh, program, and he happens to fall into different crimes every episode. Uh, and we had all this uh, blues music playing throughout it. So I've, I've had a lot of fun in front of the microphone, and so I, it was easy for me to fall into that world. But I did have to get them to walk me through it. And Skyrim, when they asked me to do that, um, I, not that I'm a gamer, but I could not believe when you enter into that game how far things have come. That game is ridiculous. I mean, they all are, but that's, that's too much, though. For some of us, it's reality. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've heard been ta yeah, I talked yeah. to some people today. Go, they've spent how many hundred hours in there now? And I think what you can play hundreds of hours yeah. of that and not be done. Right? Well, this radio drama and the things that you're working on, where can we catch up with you as we they're wrap not, up? They're all done. They, mm -hmm. they, they, because of the government uh, in Canada, it is kind of like our PBS down here. It, it's Canadian Broadcasting. is, can is them, government Mike, funding. And it's all recorded. You'd have to go into the archives and get them out. Where can we find those? Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Cool. .com. <laughs> yeah. Michael Hogan Audio Books or Drama. Okay, and uh, Lieutenant, uh -huh. I mean, uh, Edward, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where can we catch up with some of your work, the things that you've been working on, your foundations? What, what are some of the places to check out for the audience? Gosh, uh, at the present time, we're uh, in the midst of uh, a few major uh, groups. LIFI, the Latino International Film Institute, is what we've been working on the hardest right now. And we go into schools. It's really incredible. We go into third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade grammar schools and junior highs and high schools, but mainly grammar schools. And we go in there and we bring a camera, we bring recording equipment, we bring editing equipment, and we get them to start, at the beginning of the year, they have to start working on um, getting a production team together. And then we show them how to uh, get their scripts together and their storyboards together. Then they go into production halfway through the year and then they start to film their films. They have to learn to act them and they have to learn them and then they have to edit them and then they have to uh, do publicity and promotion. Some people have to that become... Be so much fun it's to so see, much man. fun. Is that our place Third, that we can check No, there, there's support? five schools. Yeah. yeah, there's five schools right now that are in it and we're trying to get the... All the kids that have gone through this, we've been doing it for about 17 years, all the kids that have done, gone through this, our programs uh, for reading, what we do is we show films in Spanish with English subtitles and age appropriate that really test them. So I don't know if you've ever gone to a, see a, a foreign film, but you sit there and, and they do the, the dialogue and you've got to read it real quick to stay up to watch what's going on and watch, you know, so it becomes a different experience. 
And a lot of people say, I don't like to read. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep going the way you're going. But we're trying to make third, fourth, fourth, third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders read, okay? Because <laughs> we're losing the art of reading. And uh, it really, it, the only way you're going to get kids to go into college is if they can read. So basically, we're, we've been really giving them this opportunity to watch great films that are great little stories that are come from Latin America, and from all over Latin America. And we do it with the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival. So LIFI, the Los Angeles International Film Institute, if you go to LIFI.com, you'll see, or LatinoFilms.com, you'll see the work that we do in that organization year-round. And it's really good. And I met, I've been meeting pretty strongly with the National California Endowment with the uh, Senator Ted uh, Liu uh, uh, yesterday for three hours and just trying to get them to promote this because every school that gets it, they go crazy. They want to keep it. They want the, you know, the, the junior high to get it and the high school to get it. And we don't have enough units to be able to just go to and drop it off there and let them work with it. We only have five units, so we're trying to get more units. And then when we do, I mean, if we could put that in there, 92% of all the kids that have gone through the program graduate high school and go to college. Wow. Yeah. 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 Right. So there you go, you know? I mean, it works. So we've been trying to do that. That's what Well, uh, guys, that's it. That's the time we have with these two icons. Let's hear it. So say we Thank all. you, guys. Edward, Mike, and remember, so signing. say we all. So say we all. So say we all. So say we all. So say we all.